Thanks for tuning in to High Point Assembly's podcast, where you're going to hear a life-giving message that we hope will encourage you no matter where you are in your walk with Christ. Check out our website at highpointassembly.org for more podcasts, information, and how to join us live in person or online every Sunday. We hope this message blesses you wherever you may be listening from. And remember, no matter where you're at, you belong. Well, this morning we're going to continue in our series from the book of Colossians that we've called Made for More. And in preparation, I'd like you to turn to the first chapter of Colossians. While you're doing that, let me say that this book of Colossians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to this early New Testament church in Colossae. Paul has written this church in order to keep them focused upon and rooted in Christ Jesus. He's reminding them, as I've said for the last two weeks, that Jesus is enough. He is supreme. He is sovereign. He is over all. He is above all. He is in all. He is through all, and he is for all. Christ Jesus is enough, and if you believe that this morning, it's okay to go ahead and say amen. Well, as we learned last week, there had been some bad theology developing and seeping into this church. They even have a name for it. Theologians call it the Colossian heresy. There were some differing factions that were saying that we're not sure that Jesus is enough. So let's add some different elements to our faith. And so a lot of unusual things began to happen. Useless elements were being applied to their daily Christian walk, and it became a bad mixture of different things. People were saying, you can have it all, so let's mix up all these elements from all over the place, and then that will be enough. But Paul writes the church, he says, no, I'm writing to tell you that what I said is true. Jesus Christ is enough. Remember, it was Jesus who said, I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the light. I am the resurrection and life. He's enough. And that is what Paul is conveying to them in his letter. I want to do a brief review of what was covered last week, so kind of catch you up to speed. In Paul's prayer for this church, he asked the Lord for uh, a few specific things. He asked that the people in that church would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. He asked that they would live a life worthy of the Lord. He asked that they would bear fruit. And finally, he asked that they would grow in the knowledge of the Lord. All of those things that the Apostle Paul prayed for are the answer to preventing people like you and I, or anyone for that matter, from getting pulled away and distracted by the false teaching that is so prevalent in our world today. But Paul doesn't stop there. He continues to turn their attention to the very source, Jesus Christ, and that's what we're going to see as we read Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23 in just a couple minutes. The Colossians were definitely Christians who believed in Jesus, but as stated last week, they were beginning to be influenced by some other things. Though they held Jesus in high esteem and they worshiped him, they were combining the worship of Jesus with lots of other elements. In essence, they were placing their trust in things other than just Jesus Christ. There was Jewish legalism that was creeping in, which involved all kinds of of rules and regulations. Along with the teachings of Jesus, they mixed in some uh, Greek philosophy and some Eastern mysticism as well. And some even elevated angels to a place of worship. There were some in that church who believed that it was the angels who were their advocates before God. 
They were also confused about their physical bodies, thinking that their physical lives was separate from their spiritual lives. And of course, this always leads to all kinds of, of confusion about how they should live. And you know, as I read uh, about these different false beliefs that was messing up these good people in this church and pulling them away from the truth that Christ Jesus is enough, I, I realize that it sounds an awful lot like us today in the 21st century. I mean, if you were to describe the spirituality of this world in which we live, how exactly would you describe it? Anti-spiritual? Naturalistic? The worshiping of nature? Would you describe it as a humanistic kind of a theology where we believe in the power of man and of human nature? There's a lot of that out there. Or theistic, a strong belief in a single God. Well, I believe there's an easy way to determine the spirituality of any culture. All you got to do is visit your local Barnes and Noble store or go online and look up the best-selling books on the market at, the, at any time, and you will clearly see an accurate picture of the spiritual condition of our society. Just look at the books that are available and what they contain. Look at all of the spiritual gurus out there who are making millions of dollars from people who are deeply confused and deeply misled. There was a time in our country when it was said of somebody that they were spiritual, it meant that they had a deep relationship with the one true God. Now it means just about anything. People throw out that word spiritual all the time. If I hear one more self-indulged, delusional celebrity talk about how spiritual they are, I think I'm going to puke. The world thinks that spirituality is great, but it's their view of what spirituality is that really concerns me. In fact, any kind of spirituality is okay with them. As far as Jesus goes, well, they think he's great too. As a teacher, or as a prophet, he is certainly one of the lead spiritual gurus available to this confused world. But understand their mindset is that Jesus is just one of many paths, one of many spiritual gurus out there. And if you try to separate Jesus from the pack or try to make him unique, you're going to get some blowback. Just try to stand up in front of that kind of a crowd and say that Jesus stands alone, that he is the only way to God the Father, and you'll have these spiritual people turn on you in a split second. Jesus is generally well thought of out there, but he's only a part of the mix and, and, and not considered by many to be the answer. In the spiritual atmosphere of this world in which you and I live today, you take some Jesus, you add some Mother Earth, you add some Eastern mysticism, add some of your own strength, some of your own wisdom, some of your own logic, put in a few cultural influences, and you mix it up into one nice stew, and here's what you'll find. Somewhere within that mixture, you will find our world. It's defined as syncretism. It's the melting or the combining of many different belief systems. And if you think it's just a problem back then or out there, you got to wake up. Because it's a problem in the New Testament church in America in 2020. And whether you want to believe it or not, it's a problem for some of us in this room and some of us who are watching online. We trust in many things instead of one Lord. Most of us here profess to be Christians. But the question becomes, who and what are we really putting our trust and our faith in?
Let me give you some statistics from the Barna Institute, and you be the judge. Four out of five Americans consider themselves to be Christians. 80% fit into what is called the casual Christian category. Here's what the casual Christ, here's some of the casual Christian core values. Their spiritual lives are not much of a priority. Bible study and reading is not a priority, and the scriptures are not a dominant influence in their lives. Casual Christians are twice as likely to believe that God wants them to achieve happiness, wealth, or success as they are to believe that God wants them to achieve holiness. They believe God is more interested in their comfort than his kingdom, and they even put their families first, even above their faith in God. The sad truth is that many of us have other influences and other things in our lives that we are trusting in. And furthermore, we sometimes trust those things at times more than we do Jesus. So what are some of the things that pull us away from trusting Jesus today? Well, one of them is legalism. We are trying to earn our way into heaven, to follow a set of rules and march our way into a relationship with God. Another big distraction is our bodies. Unlike the Colossians, we, we are not denying our bodies in all things because we often struggle with just the opposite. In our world, we worship our physical bodies. And we think if we can get our bodies just right, well, then our lives will follow. Family. This may sound controversial to you. A family is ordained by God. Family is blessed by God. And yet, our families can actually replace God as the core sustenance and focus of our worship. Money. This is a big one. Because we always struggle with this unending drive that we need just a little bit more. Just a little bit more and I will rest. Just a little bit more and I'll be able to give. Just a little bit more and then I will become a kingdom-minded person. Comfort is another one. We have gotten so caught up in this prosperity theology that we believe in the lie that God wants us to, to be financially comfortable more than he wants us to be bringing about his kingdom here on this earth. And here's another big one, government. Many of us trust that our government is going to take care of everything. There are people who believe if the right candidate gets elected this November, that government under their leadership is going to solve all of our problems. That is a lie from the pits of hell because you and I both know it doesn't matter who gets elected, our problems are not going to be solved. The only solution to our problems as a nation is that we need to submit our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ once again. So the sad truth is that we can live our lives calling ourselves Christians and yet not live in a way where we actually trust in the Christ that we profess. So the Apostle Paul calls out to the Colossians and he calls out to us today, remember who it was that saved you, remember who it was that called you, and who it is that continues to sustain you. And in verses 15 through 23, in Colossians chapter 1, Paul pretty much dumps a truckload of Jesus on these people in Colossians. But he doesn't do it in a scolding or an angry kind of a way. I envision him doing it with, with great enthusiasm, with great excitement and love in his heart as he recounts and as he records these truths that we know about Jesus. 
So let's finally read today's scripture reference together. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen behind me. Colossians 1, 15 through 23. I'll be reading from the New King James this morning. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. In order for us to grasp the power of, of this spot-on description of our Lord Jesus, we need to take some time to, break, to, some time to break this down just a little bit more, and that's what I want to do this morning. Paul begins in verse 15 by saying he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. It doesn't mean that, that the, it doesn't, Paul doesn't mean the exact physical image of God. The meaning goes much deeper than that. The Greek word that is used here expresses two ideas. First, that Jesus, Jesus is the, the likeness of God, a kind of reflection of God. And secondly, that Jesus is the manifestation of God in the sense of his nature and his character and his essence. Paul describes this truth beautifully in another letter written to another church in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Be up on the screen behind me. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You see, in Jesus, we see and we know the glory of God. In Jesus, God became knowable. He became understandable to all of us. Then Paul goes on to say in the second half of verse 15 that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Now this one is a little bit trickier to interpret. This could mean a, a priority in time in that Jesus was the firstborn of anything and everything in terms of time. It can also mean supremacy in rank, kind of relating to the rights and the honor of the firstborn that was so prevalent in the culture of that day. But when we look at the entirety of Paul's a description, I think that it is safe to say that he believes that both are meant here. Jesus existed before creation, and therefore he is first in terms of rank and dignity and honor. So after establishing that Jesus is first, Paul then establishes Jesus as creator. Look at verse 16. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, 
whether thrones or dominions or principalities or power, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus is the creator of the cosmos. He is the creator of the universe. He is the creator of everything in heaven and everything that exists on earth. And that includes the spiritual and the natural. And Jesus rules over all powers, all authorities, all human institutions, all dictators and presidents and kings. And Paul keeps going. He says, not only was Jesus before all things, and not only did he create all things, but after he did, he didn't just spin the world and walk away and let it move on. He controls all things. Look at verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. One translation says, in him all things hold together. Jesus is the unifying principle. He is the sustaining power of this universe. As one theologian put it, Jesus makes it a cosmos instead of chaos. Imagine this world without the presence of God's Spirit. And still there's more. Look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, in that, all things, in, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Another translation says that he might have the supremacy. This statement begins to bring Jesus close to you and I. Because Paul is saying to the Colossians, and he's saying to us today, and he's saying to every redeemed person in the world, Jesus is our ordained head. He is our authority. He is our king. He is our Lord. And we, as his people, we, as his church, more than any other people, should give Jesus the rightful supremacy and to bow to his authority and to live under the umbrella of his peace and his protection. So why does Jesus have this position of supremacy? Why does Jesus and only Jesus deserve to sit not only on the throne of the universe, but to sit on the throne of our individual lives? Because it is only in Christ Jesus that the fullness of God lives. That's the only place you are going to find the fullness of God. You see, in Jesus, we see the fullness of righteousness. We see the fullness of wisdom. We see the fullness of power and every blessing that is available to every person. And then get this in another book, Ephesians 3.19, which you don't have to look up. It'll be on the screen. It tells us this. And to know this love, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Because of Jesus and all that he is, you and I can be filled with God's wisdom, God's power, God's, God's purpose, and his peace. Because of Jesus, God can fill us with his very presence. From the beginning to the end, from back, way back when till today, all that God offers and all that God is lives in Christ Jesus. And through Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit is now available to us as he inhabits us. So God, through Paul's words writing here, establishes for us the uniqueness of Christ from all things and everything. Jesus is not 
some spiritual guru, ladies and gentlemen. He is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. And one day, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess, and say these words, that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. On to verse 20. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. The fullness of God dwelled in Jesus, and through the blood of Jesus, God reconciled everything back to himself. And the dwelling in Jesus and the reconciliation through Jesus, are, both words are tied to these words, for it pleased the Father. It pleased God to dwell in Jesus, and it pleased God to reconcile mankind through Jesus in the work that he accomplished on the cross. Are you getting the picture here? Epaphras comes to Paul and he says this, he says, the people in the church in Colossae are struggling. They are being pulled away from the abundant life that Jesus provides. They are being pulled away by struggles. They're being pulled away by threats of life, pulled away by the pleasures of life, pulled away by false teaching, and pulled away by temptation. Does that sound familiar? They are worshiping and they are trusting in other things other than Jesus, other powers, things other than Christ. So Paul writes this church a passionate plea, and every bit of it is based on the truth of who Jesus is. He is the image of God. He is the first in all creation. He is the first in rank. He is the first in power. He is the creator of all things. He is the sustainer of all things. He is the one that holds our lives in this universe together. He's the one who has authority over all things. The one whom God was pleased to dwell in. The one who opened the door which allowed God to be able to dwell in us. The one whose life and death and reconciliation brought us into alignment once again with our Heavenly Father. Paul establishes the uniqueness of Christ Jesus in all the universe and in the world and among all the world's powers. And then based on that uniqueness and the truth of Jesus, Paul gives us, gives the Colossians and all of us here today a challenge. He says, because of all that I have just spelled out for you, that long list that I gave you, because of all that was proclaimed, because of all that is true about Christ. Look at verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, dot, 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 Paul says, because of all this, because of all that he is, all that he alone can do, because of all that he has done and is continuing to do, live out your faith. Don't live out the faith. Live out your personal faith. Make it established and make it firm in your life. This comes from the Greek, and it means to be secure. It means having your foundation built upon a rock. I'm talking about one big solid piece of rock, not a bunch of little pieces. One solid, impenetrable rock. It's immovable. It is steadfast. It's a picture of being firmly seated in one place. Picture a huge big boulder rolled into a perfectly fitted hole on the ground. That thing is going to go nowhere. That's what I mean about being settled and being firm in your faith. In what? In the hope of the gospel in the truth of the good news. What good news? The good news of who Jesus is. 
and all that we have and all that we are in Christ Jesus. Because of the truth of who Jesus is, we, would, we should live our lives firmly established and immovable in Christ Jesus. Now before I try to tie this thing together, you may notice that in verse 23, that verse that I read not too long ago begins with the word if. Verse 23 again, if indeed you continue, to continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, we need to deal with that word if. The way that if is used here carries with it three different and yet inter, uh, interwoven kind of meanings. If can be a, a statement of confidence, sometimes translated as since. If you look at it that way, Paul is saying, because of all that I have told you, and all of it is true, and you know it to be true, I am confident that you will live out your lives and live out your faith firmly established and immovable. If can also be a statement of strong encouragement, like you must. In this sense, Paul is encouraging the Colossians, because of all that is true of Jesus and in Jesus, then you must live out your faith, firm, steadfast, and immovable. It is the only reasonable choice that we have. But please understand that this word if also carries with it a sense of, of dependent response. In that sense, Paul is saying the truths that I have told you are only possible if you live out your faith in a firm, steadfast, and immovable way. Listen, we all know that our salvation is not dependent upon our actions, but it's upon God's grace and the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf on the cross of Calvary. But get this, the full blessing of reconciliation, full harmony with God, the full hope of glory, the full peace that passes all understanding will not be experienced and the kingdom will not come to this earth in the way that it is meant to come unless you and I, as followers of, of Jesus, live out our faith each and every day. That means being firmly established and immovable from the hope that comes with trusting Jesus for everything and in all things and in all situations. Through Jesus, God gave us the power to live complete lives in this world and to bring the kingdom of God into this world. But it is a conscious decision that every one of us must make. It's a, it's a daily decision that you and I must make. And if we do not live our, out our faith, in Christ Jesus every day, then we are diminished in our own life and the kingdom of God is likewise diminished in the eyes of those who have yet to find Jesus. Because believe it or not, they are watching you and they are watching me and they are watching to see if what we believe in is true and if we are deeply rooted in it or if we can easily be distracted by the many things that are distracting them. So what does this really look like? What? What is a life lived in faith, firmly established and, and, and steadfast and immovable in the hope of what Jesus is? What does that look like? How do we know if we are truly living and trusting in Jesus? Well, I want to offer you six things this morning for your consideration. The first answer to that question is who or what you trust in is revealed in your lifestyle choices. As an example, 
Look at the way you spend your free time. And I refer to free time as, as those hours that aren't committed to earning a living. Yeah, you can play more golf. You can take more trips. You can sleep more. That's, that's all reasonable stuff. But are you firm in your commitment to God and his mission here on this earth? And it's important to say that you shouldn't be committed to that out of guilt or because somebody stands up here and tells you that. It comes to you. God convicts you of these things. You've got to listen to those convictions. And you do it because the truth has set you free. And you know that that's what God wants you to do. You see, the world tells us that fulfillment comes from focusing on ourselves. Jesus says it really comes down to living a life as a servant, serving others, and serving in his kingdom. The way you spend your time will tell you a lot about your level of trust in the Lord Jesus. Number two, who or what you trust in is revealed in times of trial and in times of suffering. Yes, you trust the doctors and you trust in good medicine, but before any of that, you trust in your creator. You are immovable in your prayers and in your hope. And when your own prayers get shaky and you get weak, you call on reinforcements. You call your brothers and sisters in the faith and you ask them to carry you in prayer because you know that during those moments of hopelessness that we all have and we feel that it's just a lie and it's only momentary. You have on your side the very one that holds all things and controls all things in his hand. He loves you. He will never forsake you or leave you. And you need to trust Jesus more than you trust in your feelings because your feelings will always betray you. Number three, who or what you trust in is revealed even in death. When you experience the greatest of all sorrow, losing someone that you, you deeply loved, when this world has no more medicine left to offer, no more, no more hope to extend to you, you remain firmly established in hope because Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. Even in death, especially in death, there is hope. And there is a promise because even in death, those who went before you who were in faith live. And guess what? When our time on this earth is done and we die, we live too. Number four, who or what you trust in is revealed in what you do with the money God has given you. Well, Pastor David, God didn't give me this money. I earned this money. Yes, God did give you that money. Apparently you haven't been listening to anything I said this morning because everything is from God. Even your ability to earn money is a gift from God. Our society and every commercial that you hear on the radio or watch on television leads you to believe that the quality of life, high quality of life, comes through consumption. But Christ followers learn that we are established in our giving because Jesus showed us that the abundant life comes through some sacrifice. There's always sacrifice. It comes through giving some of your precious resources away. The choices that you and I make with our money show who we really trust in more, whether it's Jesus or whether it's in our money. Number five, who or what you trust in is revealed in your treatment of the scriptures. While your mind tells you to be reading the sports page or, or, or while your curiosity says we should be surfing the internet, our heart deep down inside tells us we should be in God's word because it's only in that place where we are going to find true wisdom and understanding. 
The Bible is our lives instruction manual. It is a love letter from our Heavenly Father to you and I on how we are to live. And so we must be firm about our time in the scriptures. And as I said a few weeks ago, we need to meditate on the scriptures. We need to learn them, memorize them, speak them in times of, of trouble and struggle and discouragement. It's important for us to do that. Number six, the truth of who or what you trust in is revealed in your prayer life. Because while logic and prudence tells us we need more sleep or we need to do a little bit more business, your spirit knows when you need to spend more time before your Heavenly Father in prayer. I don't know how many of you noticed over the years this black bracelet that I wear. I put this on shortly after I arrived in Red Bluff, and the reason that I put it on is because it reminded me of something. You can't see it anymore because it's done worn off, but it used to say, pray first. It was kind of my reminder that when I'm struggling or I need something, that I'm supposed to pray first and quit trying to solve these problems on my own. Because I have found that it is within times of prayer where I can speak and I can hear from the one who literally controls my life and all things that go on in my life. It's important that we spend time in prayer. If, if, if in your earthly relationships you never had any communication or discussions with those who were close to you, you wouldn't have those relationships. Nobody is going to be in a relationship with you if you won't talk to them. It's no different than our, in our relationship with Jesus. Not that he will leave you. He will never leave you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And one of the ways we have a relationship with God is through our prayer time. It's a time where we are speaking to God. It is the time when sometimes we need to sit still and listen and see if he has anything to tell us. Now, you could go down that list, those six items, and there are more, but I just gave you a list of six items. You could go down that list, and you could engage me in a discussion, and you might even want to engage me in an argument. Okay, pastor, how much of my free time is okay to give to myself? How much time do I need to spend in the scriptures? How much money do I have to give to show that I'm trusting in God? How much time should I be spending in prayer or in the written word of God or in serving? And let me say to you this morning, <clears throat> I don't need to answer that question for you because you already know the answer. The answer to how much you should give or sacrifice or pray or serve before you are living a life of fully trusting Jesus, you already know the answer to that question and so do I. You see, I have found that we can fool each other, but we can never fool God. I have found that in each one of these categories, I know before anybody else knows when I'm trusting in God or when I'm trusting in something else. And I know that you do too. A whisper comes. A conviction is felt. An encouragement is given. And sometimes we listen. And sometimes we respond. Or sometimes we delay. And we just wait for it to go away because we don't want to deal with what God is sharing with us. I know when I am ignoring Jesus and when I am trusting in my own flesh, when I'm trusting in other things besides him, and I bet you do too. And it's time for every one of us to get honest. It's time for all of us to get real, to stop making excuses and start getting back at serving the Lord 
and doing his will in our lives and in our community, even while all, and especially while all this craziness is going on. Let's get at it. Let's be firmly established and rooted on that, standing upon that immovable rock in the hope of what Jesus Christ offers to you and I. The Colossians were being pulled away. And so Paul points them back to Jesus. And he says, given the truth of all that, that Jesus has done, the truth of all that Jesus is, your only real choice is to live your life trusting Jesus for everything, in every circumstance, in all conditions. If we look at Paul's writings, we will see this consistent message. If Jesus is not all that we say he is, then you are foolish to trust in him for anything. But if Jesus is who we say he is and who he says he is, then you are fools not to trust him for literally everything. It's time for us to start living a life that is worthy of our Lord and Savior. Scott, will you and the worship team come forward? Listen, our Lord is omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful, he is invincible, he is unstoppable. Our, our Lord is, is omnipresent, which means he's always present. He's all-encompassing. God is omniscient, which means he is all-seeing, he is all-knowing, he knows the thoughts going on in your mind right now. He knows everything. He created all things, and that includes the fallen angel, Lucifer. I mentioned this last week, but it's worth repeating again. I get so frustrated when I hear followers of Jesus say things that would put Satan on an equal level, an equal playing field with Jesus. Because let me tell you something, that is not true at all. And yet many people have built him up to that level. Satan was created by God, and he is below God, and his power is minuscule compared to God's power. And the work that he has allowed to do on this earth will one day come to an end at the command of Almighty God. And the truth is, Satan has already been defeated. It says in 1 John 5, 18, the one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one, Satan, cannot harm them. The evil one, Satan, cannot harm you. Oh, he can mess with you, just like he messes with me. It's his job, but he cannot harm you. We've got to quit living by giving so much credence to the power of our enemy. And we must start living by the truth and the power and the understanding that Jesus is Lord of all and above all things. Satan has no authority over you because Jesus is over all, and that includes him. He has supreme authority in the believer's life. He has supreme authority in literally everything. And the truth is, Satan already knows he's defeated. That's why he's angry. That's why he's ticked off, because he's got just a little bit of time left. It says in the last part of Revelation 12, 12, he is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. And so you know what Satan's doing right now? And I used this example early, and I got a couple people annoyed with me, but I just deal with it. It's kind of like what the San Francisco Giants are doing right now. Because let's face it, the Giants are pretty bad. 
Years ago, they won a bunch of World Series and they were the talk of the town, but they're pretty bad now. And so the last couple of years, they've kind of been playing the spoiler role. They know they're probably not going to win, so they go out there and try to beat everybody else to prevent them from winning. And that's how Satan is. He's ticked off because he knows he's not going to win. He's been disarmed. He's been defeated. Sorry, Giants fans. So now he's just trying to spoil your life. He's trying to spoil my life. He's trying to take you and I out so that we won't win, so that we won't stand victorious in our faith in Christ Jesus. Don't let him do that to you. He has no authority over you. Because Jesus Christ, the Savior, the image of the invisible God, the one who is above all and over all, he's your Lord. He's your friend. He's your God. He's the glue. He is the glue that holds everything together. All of life hinges upon our Lord Jesus Christ. So build your life upon him. Put your trust completely in him and fully give him your life. Don't give him little slivers or segments of your life and think you're okay. Give him all of your life and watch as he takes you from where you are now to a different kind of a faith, a hyper kind of a trust that even in the crazy things that are going on in our world right now and all the stuff that you're hearing buzzing in your ears from the news media and online and radio and whatever doesn't disturb you. You're a lot of disturbed people out there. There are a lot of disturbed people in the church. You're scared. You're frightened. You're angry. Oh my gosh. Some of the posts I've seen. That is not how God wants you to live. He wants you to be firmly rooted in your faith in Him. Trusting in Him. None of what's going on in our country today is a surprise to God. And guess what? He's not worried about it. So why should you be? Why should we worry? Why should we fear? Why should we fret things that are beyond our control when we know that everything is under God's control? We have allowed so many other things to, to grasp our attention. And we are allowing other things to even receive our fullest trust. And when that happens in our life, what that shows me is that we aren't living in a steadfast and in an immovable way. Precious Lord, we exalt you today. We give you all you, we give you all praise and honor and glory that you deserve. Thank you for reconciling us to our Father. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin. Thank you for the power of your spirit that indwells us. Thank you that you have given us a mission and a purpose in this life. Thank you that we have been cleansed of our sin. Thank you for your many blessings. Lord, I my prayer for this church, those within it, those watching online, Lord, is that we would be firmly rooted in you, that we would stand steadfast on the rock of Jesus Christ, that we would trust in you above all other things, that no matter what is going on in our personal lives or in this world, no matter the things that we hear that rattle us and shake us and, and bring fear into our hearts, that we would rise above that and we would go to the one who understands, the one who has control, the one who knows the end from the beginning. Father, let us trust in you in ways we've never trusted before. And most importantly, in that trust, 
and in be rooted in being rooted in you that we would do the work that you've called us to do as a church and as individuals we're living in difficult times and people are scared and people are broken and we may be somewhat limited in how we can reach these people, but God, I pray that every one of us would leave here today understanding that we have a job to do, and our job is to shine the brightness of Christ onto life and onto people's circumstances and to lead them into a redemptive relationship with you so that they can know and that they can observe and they can experience the joy, the peace that passes all understanding, the trust that we have in you, knowing that ultimately you are in control of all things, no matter what we see. So God, I pray that you would empower us and strengthen us to be the men and women of God that you have called us to be, that we would reach out to the broken, the hurting, those who we know are struggling, and that we would love them and we would show them the love of Christ and they would see your love within us. And Father, that as people are watching us and wondering if our faith is true, that we would rise above all the noise and all the static and we would live lives completely committed to you. We would not waver from that. So Lord, as we go our separate ways, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct our, our conversations, guide and direct the places that we go, the things we talk about, the things that we do, that our lives would be God-honoring. That when people see us, they would realize that there's something different about us and that difference is what makes the difference in, in what they want to be like. They want to be like us because we want to be like you. Let that be our heart's cry today. Let it be lived out in our lives every single day. And Father, I pray until we meet together again that you would keep us safe. Keep us safe from this virus. Keep us safe from accidents. Keep us safe from, from even death until we gather together again and that we can worship you together in spirit and truth. I thank you for this time together. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the power of your spirit. May that spirit, the power of that spirit in us, engage us to do great things, great exploits for your kingdom in our lives here today. And we ask these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen and amen.